Today on Ag News Daily. And as a trader, you know, you've got to be specific. You've got to have your calls on correct and you've got to have risk management. And so that's what I'm hoping to provide for folks is specific prices study that focuses on the right side of the chart. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr after a very long uh, what, four-day, five-day weekend, Ashton? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. It was a much-needed break, but earlier today, I about forgot that I had schoolwork that I still needed to do, let alone a job that I also had to do today. So I'm a little bit behind. And I've got to say, I need to make a correction from our last podcast episode, which was last Tuesday. I said that we would be back on the air in December, but I made a mistake. It is actually still November, but tomorrow, tomorrow is December 1st. So I'm ready to kick off that winter month. Yeah, it's crazy to me to think that here we are already nearing December 1st. So I'm not going to lie. I put up my Christmas tree over the weekend. I'm ready for Christmas at this point. Oh, I am too. We always put up our Christmas tree the Friday after Thanksgiving. And so we got started on that a little bit early this year. We took everything out of the attic on Thursday. It's always a fun time of year, that is for sure, Ashton, and it's always a fun time of year uh, in agriculture as well. We're obviously seeing the government near the end of their terms here as we switch over come 2021. We're seeing a lot of estimates and reports being put forth for 2021, including where we see um, farm income to come in for 2021, we are seeing that the USDA will release their estimates for what they think farm income will be here come 2021, and that is anticipated to be released on Wednesday. Now, analysts ahead of that report are actually speculating what they think USDA will come in at, and most folks are seeing that, you know, because of COVID-19 aid as well as farm subsidies, this year we're posed or next year, I should say, 2021, we're posed to see farm income at about $102.7 billion, the highest in seven years. So we'll see USDA either confirm that number, maybe push it a little higher, who knows, but uh, we're starting to get some of those estimates here for 2021, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I have some Congress news myself. It is returning to a big list topped by the need for a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that before the Thanksgiving recess, there must be an omnibus package to keep the government open. She says that Democrats don't want another continuing resolution, and she doesn't think that Republicans do either. The temporary spending bill that began on October 1st is set to expire on December 11th. Lawmakers are also expected to continue negotiations on COVID-19 relief, as we know, and could potentially address some expiring tax provisions that are meaningful to agriculture. American Farm Bureau and more than 60 other organizations are urging Congress to extend tax credits for second-generation biofuel producers alternative fuels, and associated fuel mixtures and vehicle refueling property during the lame duck session. So sounds like they're going to be pretty busy in Congress over the next few weeks or so as they're trying to roll some of that stuff out. 
Yeah, I think they will be pretty busy indeed, Ashton. And another uh, very busy group of folks here, researchers at Kansas State University. They have been working very hard on the International 10 Plus Genome Project, which is actually headed up by the University of Saskatchewan in Canada. But researchers have suggested that they've now found a way to enhance global wheat production through their genome sequencing project project on over a dozen different wheat varieties. Uh, The efforts, of course, to do this genome sequencing project were started, uh, like I mentioned there, in the University of Saskatchewan, but really gained momentum after KSU picked up on this project as well. And we've now seen over 95 scientists from universities in a multitude of countries participating in this project to be able to characterize the wheat genome and be able to enhance species and varieties and those traits that we see growers being able to use. So they compare it to finding the missing pieces for your favorite puzzle that you've been working on for decades. So I kind of like that analogy there. I do too, Delaney. And I'm kind of a big fan of the the process of gene editing, genomes, what have you, whatever you want to call it. But I got to tell you, sometimes it just flies right over my head. I like to say the word genome, um, but to be honest, when I took biology and chemistry in college and high school, I did not pay close attention to that stuff. Well, Delaney, before we went on our five-day weekend, we were talking a lot about the H5N8 bird flu, and I have an update. Among other countries, South Korea has now confirmed an outbreak of the highly pathogenic bird flu strain on a duck farm in the southwestern part of the country. The outbreak, which occurred in the town of Gurinri, killed 19,000 ducks, and the World Organization for Animal Health said in a web alert, some 392,000 chickens and ducks at a total of six farms were killed preventatively. So we're still seeing that H5N8 strain run through really just some foreign countries. I don't think I've heard really too much about it being in the U.S. as of yet, but definitely something that we're still going to have to continue to keep an eye out on. Absolutely. And another thing we've uh, been keeping an eye out on now for quite some time is Brexit and how that's going to impact not only our trading system, but also England's farmers. And a recent article put out on Bloomberg was talking about how English farmers are going to be paid to quote unquote go greener after Brexit is finished up here. So England's farmers basically are beginning to lose their current state subsidies from next year and are instead going to be receiving payments for efforts to protect the planet. Now, these are some wide ranging systems. They don't have them really narrowed down yet, but they said rather than Um, you know, doing normal subsidies. They want to work together with the EU, with the US, with other countries to try and reduce greenhouse gases. And so they are setting up direct payments that have a substantial impact, what they're claiming, to decrease US, or excuse me, decrease EU and UK Uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And instead of paying their farmers subsidies based off of income, they're going to be paying paying them more so based off of what that farm is doing to implement sustainability measures as well as other uh, 
going green initiative type of things. So we don't really know what that's going to look like quite yet. It could be things like biodiversity, um, things to adjust water pollution, obviously greenhouse gases is a big one there, manure management, things like that. But uh, these payments will also be made to improve animal health and focusing on fighting disease. So from about 2022 on, farmers will benefit from these changing payment structures in their state's subsidy program. Well, Delaney, I have some worldly news as well. Of course, we have been following the phase one trade deal between the U.S. and China, and this is I guess a new branch of the trade deal that I wasn't aware of, Delaney, so hopefully you can add something to this. But earlier today, the Global Times reported that China's Customs Authority has completed the quarantine protocols under the Phase 1 trade deal. All 37 tasks outlined in the deal have been completed on time, citing Zhao Jinglin. Uh, director of the Animal and Plant Quarantine Department under the General Administration of Customs. And they include allowing the import of U.S. poultry, barley, and pet food. Now, Delaney, I say that this is kind of a new branch that I wasn't aware of because I didn't know that there were quarantine protocols under the trade deal. Did you know anything? No, uh, I was not aware of that either, Ashton, to be honest with you. We'll have to do a little digging into that deeper, maybe find somebody to come on the podcast and share a little bit more about that or see what we can find. Because yes, I also was not aware. Uh, I assume are those quarantines that go both ways, like quarantine on U.S. products and quarantine on Chinese products coming into the United States, or is it just one-sided? You know, I tried to do some digging before we recorded, but I really couldn't find a whole lot of answers. But from my understanding, these Quarantine protocols are allowing the import of U.S. goods to China, if I am understanding that correctly. So I don't know if they're quarantining here in the U.S. before they get shipped out or if they are quarantined in ports when they when they get to China. But definitely something that I thought was super interesting because the phase one trade deal, of course, has been a very large topic of discussion this year. And this is something that I don't think a whole lot of folks really knew about. No, I certainly didn't. So I'm glad you brought that to our attention, Ashton. And I have just one other thing to bring to our listeners' attention before we talk markets with a new market analyst for today. Uh, You know, we talk a lot about U.S. exports, and we've seen really strong purchases by both China and Mexico through mid-November. According to last week's latest trade data released Friday, uh, the week was a 2020-2021 marketing year high for U.S. wheat sales, largely due to some big sales headed to China. And Mexico made some very large purchases of U.S. corn. So we have seen Chinese buyers contract sales of about 330,000 metric tons of U.S. wheat. And Mexico purchased 555,000 tons of U.S. corn, nearly a third of all export sales for the same time period. So we've now seen Mexico and China being some big players in our markets. And unfortunately, those sales happened last week. They were not enough to push markets higher into today. And we saw grains substantially pull back. And we are going to be chatting, Ashton, with Dave Houston here in just a moment. But before we do that, let's get to talking about where the market's closed for today. Let's do it. 
All right. And as I mentioned, pullback today, majorly after our shortened week last week trading, December corn down five and a half cents to close at 420. The March down seven and a quarter to close at 426 and a half. Soybeans pulled back substantially on news that they had timely South American mists or rains, if you would like to call them that. January shedding 23 cents to close at 11.68 and three quarters. The March down 23 to close at 11.69 and three quarters. Chicago wheat pulling back as well as December shed 16 and a quarter cent to close at 5.80. The March down 19 and three quarters cent to close at 5.86 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock. December live cattle down 45 cents today to close at 110.17. The February down 37 and a half to close at 112.87. In feeder cattle, green on the screen as the January contract added a dollar 22 to close at 141.05. The March up 97 and a half cents close at 139.97. And in lean hogs, December added a dollar seventy today to close at sixty seven fifty seven. The February up a dollar thirty two to close at sixty eight fifty seven and a half. And rounding out our markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures. December shedding nineteen cents to close at fifteen fourteen. The January down fifteen to close at fifteen eighty seven. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation for today's hashtag Market Monday interview. Well, as promised for today's Hashtag Market Monday conversation, we have a new voice we are welcoming to the podcast, Dave Houston, owner of HT Grain Research. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, happy holidays. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays. And I'm glad you mentioned the holidays because we had a shortened trading week last week heading into today. Things were a little ugly, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But Dave, I'm sure a lot of our researchers or excuse me, I'm sure a lot of our listeners may follow you on Twitter. You're a pretty active Twitter guy. But for those of our listeners who are not familiar with you or your background, tell us a little bit about how you got into trading and what your system is like. Sure. Well, uh, my background is in finance and economics. Uh, I got my degree in finance uh, a million years ago. Um, I've been trading futures and foreign exchange for about the past 26 years or so. So I've, uh, I've been at it for a little while. And I own HT Grain Research. So I break down corn, soybean, and uh, wheat futures charts for producers. Tell me a little bit more before we talk markets about your firm, HT Grain Research. What kind of research are you doing? Are you working mostly with farmers? Are you working mostly with other brokers or analysts? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, most of my work uh, is with applied technical analysis. And what I'm trying to do is break down charts and give producers uh, some insights with technical patterns, seasonal patterns, chart analysis that you can't get anywhere else. You know, for years and years, when I first started, uh, I remember looking at some of the, the big research firms work and it was, um, you know, the nine period moving average and RSI is overbought and uh, some fundamentals that they would discuss. And it was sort of a we'll see what happens approach. And, and over the years, I have to say, I've gone so far down the rabbit hole with technical analysis. And as a trader, you know, you've got to be specific. You've got to have your calls on correct and you've got to have risk management. And so that's what I'm hoping to provide for folks is uh, specific prices study that focuses on the right side of the chart and using technicals to give us uh, to help make better informed decisions. 
Absolutely. I've also been going into the technical analysis rabbit hole myself, reading some uh, books <laughs> as of lately. I've got to admit, uh, technical analysis, I think, scares a lot of folks. You know, looking at charts and patterns and things like that can be a little overwhelming. So I'm glad we've got you on today to talk about those more in depth with us. Oh, I'm happy to. If I had a, a dollar for every time someone told me that <laughs> technical analysis didn't work or was mumbo jumbo, and I just have to chuckle, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, I've been having my nose in technical books. I've probably read a hundred of them by the this point for all these years. And as a full-time trader, you know, I'm looking at the charts every single day. And so I, I'd love to just prove some of those and help folks get a better insight into what technicals can do. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I'm glad you also mentioned that you talk about seasonal patterns. We've been talking a lot on the podcast, not as much as of late, but, um, you know, in September and October, we were talking a lot about these counter seasonal rallies that we saw happening. What was your take on all of that? Or what's your take? I mean, currently even on where markets have been trading up until today, um, how, how strong they've been. Yeah. This, this sort of uh, rally into the harvest has surprised some folks, you know, the, without uh, going too far into the weeds, you know, since April, we've been charting, you know, I stay on the top of the charts each day. And so as these patterns develop and as the market moves, you can break down these swings into trend and counter trend moves. You can also use some, some advanced math, some statistics and geometry and ratio analysis if you really want to get into the weeds, which is what I do, to measure these swings and get a feel for where the markets are pushing in. I could see as we were coming into harvest that we were going to get a bit of a rally when we got that bounce in April, specifically in corn. You got a nice move into the lows. We got a gap higher. And then we got a corrective pattern that was swinging up and it moved up in a corrective manner. And so as I started to measure that and break that down uh, for our subscribers, we were looking at where we can get long. And it's pretty straightforward that when you get a move up, you get a pattern, you get a break, you want to buy strength, you want to move into the trend as it's developing. And all of that sort of triggered for us, uh, I want to say right in the 13th, say 813, between that that range. And when price popped above 334 and three quarters, uh, we got our trigger and we've been looking higher ever since then. Uh, some of my upside targets um, in terms of timing of, of us talking are actually perfect because at that point, back around, you know, 810, 811, 812, uh, we were targeting 427 and a quarter. And, uh, that was the upside projection based on this corrective move. So it can be a little tricky uh, when you're looking at a correction versus a trend. But this this rally against the against the harvest is a pretty standard Elliott wave correction right into 427 and a quarter. Is uh, and we've got a little topping pattern there. If you follow Elliott wave, uh, we've got a ABC move higher with an ending diagonal and wave C all measured out right into 427 and a quarter. So even though the seasonals may not line up, the technical patterns are pretty clean on this one. So you're mentioning 427. Is that really where we're going to see this thing fizzle out for the corn markets? Well, this is what's so important about the timing of and when we're speaking right now, because this corrective pattern in terms of that measurement is now complete. And so I don't just do Elliott Wave or GAN work or just focus on moving averages and, and things like that. I sort of use everything that I've learned over the last 26 years and try to pull it together for the producers that are a part of our service. And so what I'm seeing when I look at corn in particular is that You've got a corrective pattern, meaning that 
we're not necessarily starting a new trend higher here. We've got a complete corrective pattern. If you look inside of the market a bit, you can see that the order flow is starting to back off here. And if you look at the different uh, time frames, you're getting some momentum divergence here. So I can't say that the rally is over completely, but it sure doesn't look barring some extraneous event like we're going to shoot higher. For me, the technical levels that I'm watching very closely is 459 and a quarter to the upside. You know, we just rolled from the December to the March contract. So there's a little bit of a gap on the chart. Um, but those levels, uh, 403 and three quarters could be a trigger to start this downside with a turn down in momentum. And unless the market can break over 459 and a quarter, I think we're in, in for a little bit of a downswing here. All right. And uh, switching over to talk soybeans, we saw major pullbacks today. I know you are more of a technical guy, but there were rumors circulating that uh, Brazil and Argentina had some very timely rains. But what was going on from a technical side that pushed things lower today? Yeah, what's interesting on the technicals for beans is that uh, we're a bit different than corn, where corn has an ending pattern with a topping pattern on top of that, giving us a, a signal for a downturn. Beans have been very strong to the upside, but also into a similar upside target, different ratio, different pattern. But my target for beans was uh, 11.95 and a quarter. And we hit that and tested it three times before turning down today. So you could argue that we had sort of a we ran out of steam as we were going into the holidays. And now today, I think the market is realizing that at that extreme there with pretty significant divergence, we're, we're, we're due for a setback. And this particular setback uh, that could be triggered around 1138-ish, um, a move below there will tell us whether we're going to get another run in beans or not. So the price structure here is very important. And so to clarify, if we do touch below 1138, then we're going to be watching to see what markets do from there, whether they turn back around or head lower. Exactly. That's what I do on our daily services. I break down uh, on an hourly time frame, a daily time frame, a weekly time frame. We, we sort of look in the, the structure and the math of these patterns to see if we can follow the breadcrumbs. And this, if we do get that break, uh, the resulting sell-off will tell us a lot more about what's going to happen in the future. But for right now, uh, you know, we could easily move to 1045. Uh, and, and finally, let's talk wheat here. This is always one I feel least comfortable talking about, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest, sure. um, with the three different complexes. Uh, but from a general perspective, what's going on right now across wheat? Well, Chicago wheat is one that I've been watching closely and, and uh, keeping our folks up, up to date on. It's, it's also, not to sound like a broken record, but uh, if you look at the, the swing higher from June, end of June, uh, it's pretty standard uh, Elliott wave swing higher, and it targeted our, our measurement at 630 and a half, almost to the tick. So again, you've got a complete pattern in a corrective manner. Now here, what was very interesting with Chicago wheat is there were two setups that you could have started to play off of. It was developing a head and shoulders pattern, which I know just the word head and shoulders makes some folks uh, get the heebie-jeebies, but, <laughs> but we had a head and shoulders up there. And then interestingly, from the swing high, right at that 630 and a half level, we're getting a trending price structure to the downside. Uh, five Elliott wave swings to the downside with a three wave correction. And I, I was measuring that correction to 616 and we got it and sold off there. So that's fairly bearish in terms of, of the technical setup 
in that you've got a, a impulsive trending swing lower and a correction right in symmetry with the math there. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we come down and uh, test into these uh, these areas around 535. 535. All right. Well, Dave, before I let you go, it's been a pleasure having you on today. But if folks are interested in signing up for your commentary or learning more about what you do, how can they find that information out? Well, thanks so much. Well, you can uh, go to the website. It's hustontrading.com. Fantastic. Well, Dave Houston, thank you once again for joining us today to Chat Markets. Thank you, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you there to Dave for joining us on the podcast today, folks. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with him on Twitter, you can find him at Houston Trading on Twitter, and that's H-U-S-T-O-N. But Ash and I tell you what, it's great to have different types of traders on the podcast. Technical analysis, like I was saying there, is definitely a little scary. Um, I've been trying to dive into it a little bit more trying to get more folks on to talk about it on the podcast, but uh, we're definitely, definitely uh, making waves, I would say, when it comes to talking markets. Absolutely, Delaney. And we're always having fun, interesting people on the podcast, whether that's talking markets or other things like Tech Tuesday, which we will be doing tomorrow. So folks, be sure to check out those episodes at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.